right, welcome to AVL Minutes, where we talk about pet tips, industry news, and some of our road stories and experiences. My name is Peyton Graham, one of the owners here at Asteria Controls. And with me today, not as always, because we don't have Jordan today. Instead, we have, from part one, Shane Benner. Shane, reintroduce yourself, please. Yeah, Shane Benner, uh, live stream director here at Anchor Church in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, thanks for having me again. Yeah, happy to have you and your expertise back. So in the last episode, we talked about some of our favorite mixers, some of our experience with the mixers that we've used, a little talk about analog and digital, and a lot of stuff on the Midas and Behringer stuff. So today, on this episode, we're covering Allen and Heath stuff, Soundcraft, PreSonus, the Studio Live 32 consoles, uh, some random thoughts on... Um, the uh, iPad apps and digital snakes and stuff like that, um, but then also some comparison on the Midas versus the Allen and Heath. So let's kick it off with the Allen and Heath SQ series. Now we just completed an installation with an SQ6, and Shane was with us there on that installation, and he put in all the effort to make sure the customer was trained up on the SQ6, which means it's fresh in his head. So tell us, Shane, what are your thoughts on the SQ series from Alan Heath? You know, when I when I first got there and looked at it, I was um, I was disappointed up front, honestly, looking at it, um, mainly because I couldn't figure out that interface. Um, I had used an older SQ series. Um, I think one of the first ones they came out with. I don't even remember what it was. Um, and so I hadn't had any familiarity with this this console, um, and uh, I started playing around with it and realized that it was touchscreen. I didn't realize that at first, and so here I was getting frustrated with this, looking at all these knobs and trying to figure out which one controlled the string because I'm used to a Midas console, and um, finally realized, oh, it's touchscreen. And and when I realized that and actually got used to how it's all laid out in their interface, I um I grew quite fond of the SQ6. Um, the ease of, of, of routing everything in it, um, the different layers uh, that you can add. Um, essentially, it's it's you, you have an option for scenes on that console, but there's these layers that are essentially just other scenes, um, a little bit you know a little bit different than a scene um, as far as how they uh, what it changes and what you're able to do on the console with it. Um, it's almost like and and then actually um, I was going to say it's almost like having different users, but that console also has the option to have a different user. You can log in um, with your own settings, and um, you would you would log in into your own stuff, and it pulls up your own preferences. So, I mean, that console is just that console is going to be great for churches um, that have rotating volunteers week by week because there's just so much uh, you can do to customize it, and there's so many different ways that you can save it to have it ready to go for anybody that's going to walk through the doors. Yeah, one thing that I've noticed about uh, Alan and Heath consoles I think they might be one of the most popular options for churches I see them in tons of churches especially the SQ series starting to see SQ7s every once in a while but a lot of SQ5s and 6s some of the QU32 stuff but yeah it's like the perfect mixture I feel between kind of like your your touchy-feely analog kind of thing going on, but you've also got the touchscreen into 
the interface where you're interfacing with, for example, EQ. You can get in there, touch each of those frequencies and adjust them as you please, or use the EQ knobs. It really gives you those two options. And where in the Midas stuff, you also have those two options where you've got, you know, select your channel, everything on the left applies to that channel and you can manually deal in your EQ and your gain and your compressor and all that good stuff. Same with Allen and Heath, but you can also go in, touch the screen instead of dial the random rotary knobs at the bottom. And, you know, for people, especially a lot of church volunteers who are used to using touchscreens in their day-to-day lives, I think it's much quicker for them to adapt and become familiar. And if you know, you've created a user that's only limiting them to what they really need to be dealing with, then it becomes even more friendly. And there's stuff in there that they don't even have to see, and it just makes it just that much simpler. Now, one thing that's big in digital consoles is routing. Routing is super important because you're telling the mixer, where to find inputs, outputs, auxes, and where in an analog board, it's all going to be on the back. In digital, you've got snakes that are running, you know, you've got the AES-50 protocol that is used by Midas and Behringer, and you've got uh, D-Link and S-Link that Allen and Heath uses, and you can be daisy-chaining just stage box after stage box, and different models of stage box, and, you know, the sky's the limit. And because of that, routing becomes very important, but it also can be one of the more confusing things in the digital world, things that uh, even the most, you know, diehard church volunteer shies away from and is scared to touch. So having done a lot of that routing work on both the Allen & Heath and the Midas Behringer, which one do you think is the most intuitive? Which one, which, uh, I don't know, your thoughts? You know, it boils down to that having that touchscreen on the, on the Allen and Heath. Um, it makes it so much easier. It, it pulls up a grid and you just, um, it's almost like an Excel spreadsheet. You're just assigning um, your input to your output um, by just tapping in a little box. Um, the downfall of that, though, is how you scroll through that. You have to press in the screen and, and scroll left, right, up, down. And in doing so, it's pretty easy to accidentally route something somewhere. Um, so there's, like, I would say that I prefer Allen and Heath as far, you know, when it comes to routing um, and, and its ease. But, but that downfall, or the ability to just accidentally route something like that is... Um, kind of scary to me because we actually had that happen last week here at church um, with our Midas. Someone was using the iPad app to um, to do some some routing just before we started our our service, and um, he accidentally rerouted our first four channels. And so we were just getting ready to start, and we had nothing. Our our lead singer, the guitarist, and our bass <laughs> guitar were gone. Um, and so that you know that was because he was using the iPad app and he just accidentally touched the right thing and I thought back to Alan and Heath in that that touchscreen interface and I was it, it makes me nervous, um, but it would be it's a lot easier to route on that console. Yeah, when I first started using Alan and Heath consoles and they 
got into that routing with the grid, it reminded me of Dante Controller and how routing happens in Dante. And I like to think that the whole grid method is probably about as intuitive as you could get for routing. Right. The one thing that I am used to from, let's say, a Midas console is that there's different pages that are interacting with the different just kind of sections, if you will, to put it in layman's terms. So we're talking like inputs, outputs, monitor mixes, auxiliaries, things like that. Um, and the same way works with Allen and Heath, but I really like having each labeled tab just on the top so I can quickly see exactly which one I'm queued into currently, whether it's inputs or outputs or whatever, or, you know, it just makes it in my head. I know which section I'm in where I need to catch myself when I'm routing in an Allen and Heath to make sure, you know, I'm not sending, you know, I'm not messing with outputs when I'm actually talking to inputs. And I right. feel like the labeling on that is a little less concise um, just because they'll provide you with some options even in there in the grid that you don't actually need to even be worrying about at that moment. Um, but, you know, to each their own. And I think I think both methods work very well. I don't think either of them are too complicated, but definitely there is definitely that higher chance of routing gone wrong with the touchscreen as compared to just selecting a single thing in the rotary because in Midas, if it's orange, it's routed. And you can kind of keep that in mind where, you know, you're swiping through the grid in Allen and Heath and you're just randomly routing with your big pudgy fingers as you're scrolling through and yeah, got to be careful. <laughs> I definitely did that a few times when we were setting that one up for that church a couple weeks ago. I, uh, I rerouted things that weren't supposed to be there and then had to try to troubleshoot it and realize, oh, that's just my fault. Big fingers. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll just add in, routing in the Soundcraft stuff, um, it's, it's like pages similar to uh, Midas, but instead of seeing the pages at the top, you've it, it's kind of a combination, honestly, between... Allen and Heath's touchscreen, because it's a touchscreen if you're using maybe the impact of the expression, um, but you're also paging through pages of, you know, first your inputs, then your outputs, and then maybe you have an expansion card, like a USB card in there, and those are a whole nother bunch, and then the stage box at the end, but it start, always starts with the local stuff, and so if you're routing a whole bunch of stuff on the stage box, you get a Check your way all the way over, get to the stage box, and then you get you have little boxes, little tiny little boxes, and you push and a check mark appears, but the check mark will only appear if it isn't currently like routed. So it won't let you double route. If you try and double route, it'll show you a warning. And then you got to go back, find where it's currently selected, unselect it, and then move over and then route it. Which, to me, is kind of annoying. But you know what? Teach their own. 
Sounds clunky. <laughs> it's not the best, but the one thing, the only thing that bothered me the most, I think, is just the fact that the boxes are so small, and I'm like using my big finger trying to like perfectly press the hit box that is that checkbox to get it to route. <laughs> Drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Alan and Heath versus the Midas and Behringer stuff. Anything that really sticks out to you besides routing on I like this feature way more on one or the other? I think it comes out of that customization. Um, I think that the Allen and Heath is, especially in, in my setting, in a church setting, I think that the SQ, uh, SQ6 specifically um, works really well in a church setting. Um I, I'm a fan of Midas. It's the first digital console I've used. I've, I'm I'm used to it. I like it a lot. Um, but I think that the SQ6 is um, it's a step above. Um, like I, you know, like we were talking, the routing and everything. That initial setup of it can be a little bit more clunky than than on the Midas console. But the um, the customization options out there for um, like like I said, a venue like a church where you have three or four different volunteers rotating in and out. Um, you can each one of them can set their own learn their own later their own user and have their own setup right there in front of them um so it's it's super user friendly in that way yeah yep i definitely agree and the only thing i'll say because stage boxes are such a huge integral role in the digital mixer world is that that's something you got to keep in mind and with the um Allen and Heath stuff, the box that I see get used the most is the AR2412. They also have the um, the GX4816 and a couple other ones, a couple smaller ones, where in um, the Midas stuff, you've got the DL16 and the DL32. If it's Behringer, it's the, um, the S16 and the S32. And it's pretty simple where you're getting either... On the 16 version, you're getting 16 inputs, 8 outputs, and then double that on the 32 options, where in Allen & Heath, you've got the AR2412, where you have 12 outputs, 24 inputs, and that matches up perfectly to a console like the SQ6, which is 24 across the deck, as opposed to 32 on the M32, or the X32 minus Behringer options. But they also have, you know, the AB168, where you can get 8 outputs, 16 inputs, just like a DL16. Or the 4816, where you're getting 16 outputs and 48 inputs. <laughs> it, it It's something to keep in mind. And, you know, if you want to be a little more flexible with... Your stage boxing, because keep in mind that Allen and Heath has things like Dante outputs and inputs as not just expansion cards, but also as like miniature stage boxes where you can bring in and out Dante stuff, um, wall-mounted boxes, remote expanders. They have a lot of different options in the I.O. world. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, that Midas is falling short. I think the simplicity is you know helpful i mean you can quickly look and be like yep this is how many ins and outs i have super easy um 
to my knowledge, there is not a in-wall box. I, I could be wrong. But as far as I'm concerned, you're either getting the DL-16 or the DL-32. And you're rack-mounting those suckers. And that's how you're doing all your stage boxing for the Midas and Behringer stuff. Where with Alan Heath, you got... Few more options, and I think depending on you know your venue or your situation, maybe that's another thing you want to look at. Yeah, I think the um, Alan and Heath consoles are, are a solution for the church that's doing or the venue at all that's doing something um, just beyond the basic. You got your console in the back and your stage box up front. If you're looking for anything other than other than that, you, you're looking at Alan and Heath. Yep. Yep. I agree, but Alan Heath also has a solution for that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it honestly boils down to preference. And when you've got churches looking at, you know, which one should I get? Really, either one's going to work just fine because if you don't have experience on either of them, you're not going to know those little differences. And when it comes to a church, you're probably not doing too much complex stuff that would require the special specifics of either one. I mean, you've got custom assignment on both consoles you've got built-in um monitoring and talk back on both you've got expansion card options on both you've got digital stage box options on both you've got anything you'll most likely need on both so yeah. you know it i don't think that's too much to worry about the one thing i will say now that i'm thinking about it that i really like on Midas Behringer versus Allen and Heath is I like how quickly you can make a stereo versus a mono. I like that it's a link button that quickly links the two together versus going into the patch page and selecting between stereo and mono on Allen and Heath. But again, that's preference. All right, Good let's point. get in let's get into uh Let's get into Soundcraft. I I have some some feelings about the Soundcraft options. Oh, do you? <laughs> and I'll just say this now. We're talking about the SI series here, which is going to really be the Expression 1, 2, 3, and the Impact. They also have the uh, SI Performer. But I don't need to talk about a console that has built-in automated lighting controller in this conversation. It's just not a conversation we need to have. Uh, the <laughs> SI Impact from Soundcraft is their Behringer X32 competitor. Like, this console is what they came out with. You know, it's a 32 in, 32 out. It's got your stage boxes. It's got, you know, Dante option cards and all that stuff. Um... Really, it's just Soundcraft's a version of the top competitive mixers, essentially. I mean, they're putting the impact out, trying to make an impact in the market. And uh, you know what? Good for them for trying. Because honestly, I don't know why you need this additional option that's pretty much the same as all the other ones. I mean, there's differences, but if you are looking at, you know, a 40 channel digital console, 
Look at Alan Heath. Look at Midas. You do not need the Soundcraft SI Impact unless there's something specific on there that you really need. Now, their SI Expression series is a little different, and these are designed for your folks who are moving from an analog to a digital, and they're deeply hesitant about all of the digital stuff. Now, I say that because that's what Soundcraft is aiming for. I don't think it's less complicated if you're coming directly from analog. I think it's more complicated, and I'll explain why. But as I was already discussing on routing, and we were talking about that routing, routing is complicated on the expression consoles, and it's more complicated than either Allen and Heath or Midas, and honestly, I cannot understand why they had to make it as complicated as it is. I think it's because they're trying to jam features. But the first thing you notice when you look at like an Expression 3, for example, is you've got all your banks of faders, and they give you like five or six banks. And you can literally put whatever you want on all of them, which is great, except why would you want that? Because <laughs> each of the... Um, I don't even know exactly what you'd call it. In the fader area, like there's a tiny little LED strip kind of embedded into where the motorized fader is. And it lights up, and you don't get to customize what the color is, okay? They pitch about how it's like, oh, the, the color is customizable, and you know it helps you figure out what's what. False, okay? You do not get to change the color. <laughs> The color is assigned based on what it is that you routed to that channel. So if you routed, um, let's say you routed effects, an effects bus to a specific channel, it would be blue. If you routed a, a stereo input, it would be green or whatever, or green or pink, one of those. And then regular inputs, that's just no color. No color. So the ones that don't look like they're turned on, they actually are just regular inputs. <laughs> Things like matrices, those are orange, and on and on. It's weird. But what makes it so analog-friendly is that at the top, you've got your whole like little cluster of what you'd be reaching for on an analog console, it's very simple, and as soon as you select your channel, you're basically impacting that channel as if you were messing with an analog mixer. So if you're training someone who's used to an analog mixer, you can be like, hey, pick your channel, and then just start reaching as you would on an analog board. Uh, the only thing about that is once you start digging into things like routing and things like setting preferences, you have to do things twice because you have to set up your fader and you have to route it and you cannot do just one of those or it won't work correctly and you have to keep in your brain how you set up the fader and then how you set up the routing and i i, I don't i i don't see how that's more useful for people moving over from analog i just don't see it 
I just don't see it. Yeah, I think it sounds like they're trying a little bit too hard. I, you really can't find there. There isn't a happy medium between analog and digital. They're very different, and um, if you're going to make that switch, you, you have to make that switch. And I, as someone who is hesitant to go digital, um, I can say that um, it, it's worth it. Um, but I, I don't think it's worth it to try to have this weird happy medium in between um, because it's just, it's clunky. It's not, it's, you're trying to get the best of two worlds that are very, very different. Yeah. And well, it sounds like it'd be a good idea. It just, it doesn't work that way. And it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. So, you know what? Please, please believe me. Just, just believe me. <laughs> You don't you don't want it in your life, okay? For example, if you accidentally unset up or unroute one of those effects channels, clicking on the effects buttons that are you know as you would on an analog console, they just won't work. They just won't light up, and you can't figure out why. And then if you go in and realize, oh, I didn't do a fader setup for a specific effects bus that I sent to a specific area and I had and you have to set up a stereo channel or it won't let you use the effects at all and you have to drop them all into another bank so when you think you're customizing your banks really it's forcing you to put everything into specific banks and then it's really not that customizable at all and then you're like what am I doing out here just using three banks with stuff that I am never going to ever use it's it's, you know, it's a thing. And another thing that I'm just going to say is that their stage box choices, um, they're interesting. So yeah. you've got your 32 and your 16, just as you would expect. Let's say you're coming from uh, Midas and you're like, all right, I got a 32, I got a 16, sweet. But they have the R option and they have the i option one of these comes bundled with an expansion card so that you can drop it into your console and you can you can you can plug into that stage box the other does not come with the expansion card and the expression consoles do not come with this feature built in so essentially it's an analog console out of the box because you have no way to plug in your stage box to it until you get this expansion card and it only comes bundled with the box that will give you two oh, so it's okay let me explain this without um, being as complicated as possible one of their boxes will give you 32 or 16 channels input. And on the output option, you will get your regular old eight, or you'll get eight analog outputs and then eight AES digital outputs. And there's no reason for this. There is no reason for eight AES outputs, stereo linked, to be on a stage box in an XLR output. I just, I don't understand why they did it that way because no one's gonna need that many. You'd much prefer to use the other ones. And if you get the R option, which is what you would normally be using if you were coming from a DL16 or a DL32, 
you only get 12 outputs instead of 16, and you have to go and buy the expansion card separately because it does not bundle with it. I know this because I talked to Sandcraft on the phone, and it made no sense to me why they would do it that way. But that's what they wanted to do. And if you want to deal with that headache, then feel free. I just am not really sure why they decided to do it that way. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. Soundcraft just sounds like they were trying to do too much. They were trying to be really this awesome custom setup options, and and they just didn't pull it off. They tried too many things, and and uh, didn't didn't put enough focus on any one thing, and just kind of let all the stuff be there and, and presented it as this great thing. And in reality, it's just uh, pure confusion. Essentially, I'll say this: the idea was good. But pulling it off, I don't think it was done how they wanted it to happen. And they should just stick to making really nice, high-quality Soundcraft analog consoles that um, people like to enjoy that like mixing on analog. I mean, those are great consoles. I've used a couple. They look nice. And, um, I mean, if you want an analog console, Soundcraft has some good ones. And the quality on the preamps is very nice. Just, you know, when you're ready to go to digital, move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, I've used a Soundcraft, uh, one of their little, I don't, I don't even remember the model or anything, but it's just one of their smaller little analog uh, uh, consoles for um, a little portable setup that we had at our my last church. And uh, it's a great console, like you said, yeah. But this, uh, this setup that they have for uh, their digital stuff just isn't good. Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal. Maybe there's someone out there that really likes it, but it's not me. Which leads us into something extra digital. The PreSonus Studio Live 32 Mixer. Now, PreSonus is known for Studio One. They're great digital audio workspace. It's a nice DAW, and uh, a lot of people like to use it. And then they came out with some consoles to play with the DAW. And for some reason, churches were like, hey, this looks nice for front of house. And they bought it for front of house and were confused why it didn't do exactly what they wanted it to do. The older Studio Live, uh, I believe the Studio Live 16, and the older 32, they had some issues and they had some... um, I guess the video game industry would call it game-breaking bugs where you're trying to mix and just the system just decides to just doesn't want to play with you anymore. The newer versions, they've got the 32S and the 32SX and they have the 32SC. I I don't know why they're triple modeling with little like little letter additions. But essentially, they're all 40-channel mixers. You know, they've all got effects built in. They've got everything you'd want from, you know, a digital mixer. I will say that the 32S has Bluetooth capabilities, which is kind of cool for uh, stereo inputs. I mean, a a Bluetooth stereo input is kind of pretty sweet if you're, you know, trying to just get your phone playing through the system real quick hook out the Bluetooth, wha-bam. 
Um, but a big thing with the PreSonus Studio Live consoles is the fact that they're USB audio interfaces. And I think in the studio is a great spot for these consoles because essentially you're playing with that full-size digital mixer, um, but it's designed specifically to be used in the studio or in a DAW. I mean, Shane, are there any uh, contexts you think would be useful? Yeah, I think that um, they'd work really well in, in what I do, a live stream scenario. Um, I'm I'm currently looking for a, a console that works well with the DAW, and um, I'm kind of leaning towards these because I've tried to use Midas with it, and it's not their interface just isn't great. Um, I have not played around with Ellen and Heath, though, um, so that's kind of my top two contenders. Yeah, and the um, the Studio Live consoles, they also they look pretty nice. If if you ever like sat down in front of one, sort of messing around with it, it it it's quality. It looks good. It's easy to work on. You got everything that you expect to be in there. Um, I mean, you get the touch capability. You get um, the programmable banks. Everything you could ever hope for. And I think where people would find the most value out of it is again using it for audio working, audio interface working in their DAW because you can go in, you can pull all your inputs into the DAW, you can basically, like let's say for example, maybe not Studio One, maybe you're running Pro Tools or Ableton Live or something weird, some like FL Studio or something. And you're running in there, you get it all synced in, and everything is pushing through your mixer, through the USB, right in there, and it's a live visual representation in DAW mode, but you get to mix it with tactile buttons. And, you know, there's a DAW remote button on the Allen & Heath consoles and on the Midas consoles, but it just feels so much more intuitive on the PreSonus Studio Live 32, 64, 16 consoles that I think if you're really trying to get into multi-track recording or running, you know, your live stream directly through a DAW, I think it's probably your best option, honestly. And if you really want to get technical with it and throw in stuff like their UC surfaces and their, um, you know, the remote control capabilities... I think it's a good option and i think if you're building a studio with it great option but if you're running front of house i think there's better more intuitive options out there that aren't muddied with this kind of studio layer i guess a little work but i think for your volunteer it's best to keep it separated keep it in the studio Keep it with your uh, your iOS connections and, you know, kind of keep it for the studio, I guess. It's just just my thought. A lot of churches are still picking them up for running front of house. I just think that, in my opinion, multi-track recording and studio use is the best spot for these. I agree, yeah. And that, um, I know you touched on a little bit, but that Studio One software that they have, um, it's pretty sweet looking software. 
I've played around with the demo of it a little bit. Um, haven't actually had a console there with it, but it's um, their software. It's top notch. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It's been around for a while. Um, you know, it's no Pro Tools. And my personal favorite would be uh, Ableton Live. I spent a lot of time in Ableton. People are going to call me a DJ for just saying that, but <laughs> or a keyboard warrior out there just, you know, playing with my Nord. But um, I think I think it's very intuitive and very friendly, and I think it's way friendlier than Pro Tools. But Pro Tools is, you know, designed for mastering and deep, complicated studio work. Um so if you're trying to find something that wants to go toe to toe with, you know, Logic or um, FL Studio or Reaper or Cubase or you know the billion other DAWs out there, uh, Studio One's a good option. It's proven and a lot of people like it. And if you get Studio One and you want to pull what's on the screen into your hands and have some tactile function with it, I don't think you can go wrong with the Studio Live. Um, consoles for interacting with it and really any DAW because it's got to be if they really marketed it well probably the best controller for playing with DAWs because if you look at I stuff agree. like Ableton Push which is their their controller it's 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 essentially a you know a MIDI controller and if you want to step outside of the drum pad MIDI controller world um, Studio Live is probably your best bet. Agreed. All right, so that's pretty much all of our thoughts on these big, popular mixers. Um, if you have any questions or you think that you know maybe one of these might fit best for your venue, you can always find us at hysteriacontrols.com. You can always answer your questions. I'm always available. Um, but beyond that, anything you want to close with, Shane, anything on, you know, rack mounting, iPad control, we've talked a lot about digital snakes, maybe just, you know, expansion cards, there's so much to these digital mixers, is there anything that you want to throw in here? I will say, if... if you're you're currently using an analog system and you're you're on the fence about um going digital um i was there i understand it's scary it's worth it though um the you know like we were talking that some of this stuff is a little bit complicated in a digital console takes a, a week of using it to get it down and you're you're there and you're happy and you're loving it um uh, i would steer clear for live um like in a church setting or you know a live venue um live music venue Steer clear of those um, iPad mixers, you know, the rack mounted with the with the iPad control. Um, I've had bad experiences with those crashing on me. Um, if you're going to do it, do it. Spend the money, get the get a nice digital console, the SQ6, M32, um, maybe one of these PreSonos if you're doing it in like a live stream setting. Um, and uh, it's worth it. It's you'll you'll enjoy it. Good notes. Good notes. Yeah, I honestly, when it comes to a lot of the applications that a lot of these digital mixers go into, whether it be a church or a school or a smaller venue, maybe a club or a bar, they do seem complex. Um, 
but I don't think they are as complex as they seem to be. I feel like looking at it, the bell curve or the curve of learning it looks like a bell curve. It looks terrifying how it looks like it'd be, you know, the first couple things will be easy and then it just shoots up into the sky. I'm telling you, it's not. It's not that bad. Especially if you come from a mixer before, even if it's analog, everything's there. You've got your inputs, you've got your outputs, you've got auxiliaries. They call them buses in some, so just look out for that. But other than that, everything you need is there. I will say that a lot of these mixers, they do their bus sending with a fader flip to take advantage of the fact that there's not a thousand faders in front of you. Uh, so watch out for that. But it's all right. It's not that complicated. And I think that embracing the digital mixer world, getting into the mixer and getting into all of the options that each of these mixers provides, you can expand, you can you can take away equipment that you really were relying on but you just don't need anymore. I mean, these things have effects built in, people. You do not need analog racks of effects anymore, okay? Just throw <laughs> it away. Give it up. It's here for you. Digital mixers are here to make your life easier, not harder. And even if you have a lot of volunteers who are not all that tech-savvy, even then, they're still worth it. And not only that, I think... Them learning on these mixers will get them, you know, used to being better technicians in other areas of your production and worship ministry. If you're in a church or, you know, wherever you're at, because not only do they get into front of house mixing and they get into, you know, the routing stuff and they start working on that, but then that can inspire, you know, getting into the live streaming stuff or getting into video switching and getting into, you know, running things through DAWs and recording. And it it all kind of plays into itself. And these mixers gives you the option to do literally all of it. You can do multiple mixes at once. You can send multiple mixes. It's all super easy. It's really not that bad. And with customizable banks of encoders you can make it totally simple for your just run-of-the-mill random rental user who needs to turn on three things it's no more difficult than turning on a wireless microphone and everyone can eventually figure that out of course they don't always seem to figure it out when they're the vocalist on stage and they're wondering why it's not working but that's that's another (laughs) thing entirely (laughs) yes yes it is (laughs) <laughs> all right well shane i appreciate you coming on and chatting with us sharing with us your information we'll definitely have you on some some future episodes because we're going to get into stuff like live streaming and lighting and dante and we're going to talk about all this fun stuff in future episodes so we hope you'll join us absolutely thanks for having me it's a blast yeah 100 percent. and uh we hope you the listener join us in these future episodes the part two was unexpected for this, but um, and you're going to hate me for it going even longer. But coming up, we've got a three-part lighting series, and we got stuff on Dante, and we got stuff on, you know, 
stories and more tech tips and more industry news and all that good stuff. So we hope you stick around and we'll see you in the next one. See you later.